Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that post next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mears. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Microphone check. That's got to be really hot in some of your headsets. Good to be with you, though. It's episode 358 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Monday, July 25th, 2022. DOS effects, Mike Checa, some technical difficulties off the top today. Ken Flo just asked me, how do I sound? I don't know where in the world you are, but you sound great. Good morning, <laughs> Ken Flo. What's the good word? What's going on, man? Uh, you, you got your Boston t-shirt on. I see a picture of Boston in the background. How are things? Things could not be a whole lot better. I am at the Boston Harbor Hotel. Ooh. And, uh, Very nice. You know, I checked in and, you know, it came up that I worked for the UFC. And uh, I guess this is UFC President Dana White's spot. It He's is. in the presidential suite as you might expect up top. So um, sort of softly telling my daughter, Riley, like, you know, we don't have $18,000 a night right now, honey, but maybe there will come a time in our life when, uh, when we can stay there for like an hour or two or something. Um, 
But I have to say, right, so my best friend, Brian Montgomery, saved in my cell phone as Hurricane Montgomery because, man, when he gets going. Uh, but he used to park cars here. He used to be a, a valet uh, guy at the Boston Harbor Hotel. So he tells me this is the only place that I can stay. Right here on Rose Wharf, right on the harbor. I wish I could show you the beautiful view, but uh, obviously it doesn't uh, translate on television with all the brightness. But, you know, this is our home city, Ken Flo, and it's been a while since I've been in Massachusetts. was at uh, Fenway Park with the children yesterday, and uh, it's great to be back in Boston, Massachusetts, as you know. Absolutely, especially around this time of the year, man. It is the best. You're in a great location, ton of great spots to walk around and eat. So uh, I am jealous, my friend. My kids right now are at the New England Aquarium. So, um, you know, a little bit envious of that endeavor. But, you know, it's a pay-per-view week, business calls. We got to talk about Patty Pimblett, Kamzat Chimaev, and Nate Diaz, by the Ooh. way, UFC 279, September 10th. Um, how about you come to Las Vegas uh, and use my ticket September 10th? What do you say? You busy? Dude, I, I would love to. Absolutely. Really? If I'm available, I am there, kid. I'll take you. I'll take you up on that for sure. Right. So you and Boston Anna can figure it out. Maybe it'll be the two of you guys together. Um, Cody Merrill probably has something to say about that. I mean, <laughs> the executive producer, Cody Merrill. Cody, I'm like sorry. Every UFC live event this year. So maybe he'll <laughs> relinquish his seat. But um, I do only get two tickets contractually. But Kamzat Chimaya figures to be a prohibitive, I would say, hugely favored uh welterweight here against nate diaz is that your expectation what are your thoughts just off the top on that fight before we move on yeah i would think so you know i i think in a lot of ways um it also can favor nate diaz in that nate diaz uh tends to do well against guys who move forward now he doesn't move he, he doesn't do so great against guys who kick his legs and stick and move and you know utilize wrestling which hamzat is capable of doing but Hamzat, if he decides to follow Nate Diaz on the ground, Nate obviously has a ground game um, that I think can cause some problems for Hamzat. Um, but, you know, those things aside, yeah, I think Hamzat uh, could be a big favorite, uh, you know, heading into this one. I don't know if the odds are released just yet, uh, but certainly his game, his size, his wrestling um, is going to make him a favorite against someone like Nate Diaz. Um you know, who, who's been chirping uh, that he wants to fight or that he wants out of the UFC. I don't know what's going on, but uh, he, he better have his game face ready for, for someone like Jemaya. I am so excited for that fight. And uh, if it, indeed it is the last UFC fight for Nate Diaz, um, potentially what a way to go out. Uh, but I do believe that uh, Nate is as game as any fighter on the roster in any division. And I'd like that he is uh, willing to accept what on paper looks like uh, a significant challenge. You know, I would venture to say Nate is probably a live underdog to some if you're getting him plus 300 or anything north of that. But um, stylistically, uh, Chimaya figures to have some advantages in the matchup. Uh, also, Pyorian and Sean O'Malley was announced for uh, Abu Dhabi, which is pretty exciting as well. You know, Sean Shelby and I were talking backstage, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here when we were in whatever Long Island recently. And uh, he sort of mentioned Pyotrion and Sean O'Malley, and then he said to me, is that out yet? And I said, no, I mean, it could be out in a couple minutes right now. But no, he knows anything that he tells me stops there. But I love it, right, because I've been sort of preaching for a long time that I believe Sean O'Malley to be an elite bantamweight and just needed that chance to prove it. And I know the Pedro Munoz fight certainly did not go the way that Sean O'Malley would have liked. Um, but, you know, I, I just I think this is a competitive fight and I think Sean O'Malley has a lot to prove. And so does Piotr Jan. Um, anything for us on that, Ken Flo, before we uh, call on big gun Brian Petrie? Here? 
I, I would say this. If, if it's the Piotr Jan that loves to move forward and, you know, throw a lot of offense his way, I think that favors someone like Sean, Sean O'Malley, who is at his best when he's counterfighting, when he's counterstriking. Uh, his length, um, you know, and his, his speed, his power makes him a tough go against anyone. But I, I think that Pedro Munoz showed us that a, a patient, disciplined fighter who was willing to get in and get out and kick those uh, those lead legs of Sean O'Malley, um, not only is going to frustrate someone like Sean, Sean O'Malley, but you can outpoint someone like Sean O'Malley. So I'm curious to see both what kind of adjustments Piotr Jan makes uh, post-Aljo and what kind of adjustments uh, O'Malley's going to make after that Munoz fight? Because, right. you know, obviously we saw that vulnerability. I think it's a fantastic fight and a big test for both men. Uh, and for O'Malley to win that one, and if he does it impressively against Piotr Jan, then uh, we may very well have a future champion. Figures to be the co-main event underneath Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev. UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi, absolutely loaded. Couldn't be a better card, at least on paper, up to this point. All right. Anakin Florian Podcast today, presented in part by UFC Fight Pass. See the best UFC Fight Pass has to offer on the Fight Pass 24-7 stream, offering a constant channel of historic fight action all day, all night. Tune in, sit back, and enjoy a network created by fans for fans. Step into our world, UFCFightPass.com. And by the way, uh, we are filming again in about a week on August 2nd uh, with our exclusive segment for UFCFightPass.com. Uh, but now joining us as we get into our recap of UFC Fight Night, Blades versus Aspinall. Uh, he is big gun Brian Petrie on social media. You can find him at Brian Petrie MMA. Yeah, throw him in the center of that triple box. There he is. What's up, kid? <laughs> hey, boys. What's going on? Took a beating Saturday, but I love Hot. this sport because guess what? There's another one this weekend. Get back on the horse. I love this card. Love these picks. Got a couple leans. Uh, I'm excited, boys. I'm excited. All right, so a lot to get to on this UFC Fight Night recap before we move along to uh, to the pay-per-view UFC 277, of course, coming up Saturday night, uh, American Airlines Center there in Dallas, Texas. It is interesting, though. Brian Petrie gets put in the center here. You know, Kenny Florian three times fought for the UFC championship. <laughs> like, can he get in the center Kenny of the goddamn screen? Kenny getting in the center. Screen? Getting I mean, he deserves it. He deserves it. <laughs> no, but of course, Cody making the right production decision as always. All right, so, Ken Flo, we'll start with you. For the second consecutive weekend, the UFC's main event ends with an injury uh, in round one. This time it happened even sooner. 15 seconds into the round, Tom Aspinall comes up lame on that right wheel. And uh, it is Curtis Blades by TKO 15 seconds in. I'm not sure Curtis Blades could have handled himself any better after the fact on a yeah. microphone or otherwise. Certainly there are websites that are going to twist his comments and make it seem like he is somehow avoiding an Aspinall rematch, which could be 12 months away. Um, but what were your thoughts on those 15 seconds, the injury, everything else? You know, I actually said to Brian Petrie off the air, I know it was only a 15 second fight. It kind of felt longer to me. I felt like Blades' hands looked pretty crispy early on. Um, what do you have for us on obviously what was a disappointing uh, end to the show in London? Yeah, you said Aspinall came up lame. He may have came in lame. You know, uh, you know. To me, when you don't see a leg check, right? When there was no block there, he attacked the back of the leg of Curtis Blades, uh, and then um, you know fell back in, in tremendous pain. So to me, it probably indicated that there was some kind of knee injury there coming into the fight, uh, which is very unfortunate. A lot of times as fighters and, and people just don't know about a lot of these things, right? It's rare that you go into a fight 100%. And sometimes because you are a fighter, because you have that fighter's mentality, you say, 
I'll be fine. Whether it's coming off of an illness or an injury or a bad training camp, you, you got to deal with those, some of those things. And for a lot of those guys that may need money or whatever, is in a main event spot in his home country. How the hell do you say, no, I'm not going to fight? Uh, very difficult thing anyway. He went in there um, and, yeah, unfortunately suffered that injury. So that, that's a that's a tough one to swallow because Aspinall, you know, in his home country, you know, it was a big spot for him, right? Um, already a star there, could have been even bigger. I see a tremendous amount of potential in that young man. Um, that said, uh, it was a quick fight, uh, and Curtis Blades was looking very good and very confident heading into that fight. Aspinall seemed a little jittery to me, and that was a concern that he might be in too much of a rush to go out there. His chin was a little bit too high, and again, some of that may be because he was nervous due to the injury or whatever, uh, but um, I think that was a more difficult fight than I anticipated as I watched both of their energies as they started that fight. Not to be too, I yeah. don't know. Uh, yeah, but anyways. So, Brian, Francis Ngannou was able to effectively keep his knee injury under wraps. You know, I know some of our UFC staffers were asking him about it a couple weeks out and, hey, what's up with your knee? Is it going to be OK? Mm-hmm. And he's sort of deadpan. You know, I hope so. Um, Sumu Darji wore the knee wraps recently at a UFC live event. Some commissions will allow you to. I don't know what was going on in London. I believe that the UFC might have been the regulating body because I saw Mark Ratner working the scale. Um, I'd imagine the UFC would allow you to wear knee wraps. Um what do you have for us on Tommy Aspinall and what was obviously um, a setback here to whatever degree? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I, I, I've never suffered a knee injury, but you, you hear a lot of fighters talk about it, like the weird Joe Lozon thing. He's like, my knee pops out and it usually pops right back in. But this time it locked up on me. Chris Wyman has talked about that before. So sounds like something that Tom Aspinall maybe had to deal with. Maybe it was a severe injury. And he's like, hey, this is a main event. I'm still going anyway. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has that kind of confidence. Um. But yeah, it, it was unfortunate, man. It was, like Kenny said, it was it was a clean kick, it wasn't checked, and it happened on the kick. It didn't happen on the step, you know. So uh, yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate for the guy. I mean, and, and I'm happy for Curtis Blaze. I mean, I know I faded him. I, I took Tom Aspinall, but here's a guy that I think gets disrespected a little bit, and and you know he's only lost to two men, and he's a legit guy. And I think it'd be ridiculous if people write, oh, he's trying to avoid the Aspinall rematch. Like, get, yeah. get out of here. Get right. out of here with that shit. Right. Like, this guy's fought everyone in the in the, in the the heavyweight division. He'll continue to fight everyone. Um, unfortunate for Aspinall. Unfortunate ending in London, considering that crowd was buzzing. But, uh, yeah, man, hopefully Tom Aspinall is just a, it's just a minor sprain or pull or whatever happens in your knee. Hopefully it's not a complete tear because uh, that'd be devastating. Yeah, to, to me, it seemed like Blades was genuinely upset that that fight was over that yeah. quickly. Like, he wa- mm-hmm. he wanted to fight, and, and, and you love to see that. Mm-hmm. Like, Oscar John said, Blades looked quick in the beginning, dude. His hands look faster than I've yeah. ever seen him. Sorry, John. Yeah, I thought so, and he's got huge hands, man, like in Ganu size mitts. Uh, Oscar Willis from the Mac Life is a dear friend of Tom Aspinall, and he posted a photo that many of you have since uh, ingested of Tom Aspinall and Curtis Blades enjoying a beer together. And Luke Thomas, my friend, uh, fine. MMA journalist and personality uh, said those beers look particularly refreshing. And, you know, I'm not a big beer guy. I prefer, you know, Casamigos, but they look really refreshing. Those two beers, you know, Curtis Blade still in his fucking fight kit, you know, drinking mm-hmm. a beer. Delicious. So, all right. So what do you do now? Um, you got Tai Tuivasa and Ciro Gan, obviously at a big main event. It seems as though the road is leading to John Jones and Stipe Miocic for a UFC interim heavyweight championship or not. Francis Ngannou is the guy. Um, Kempfla, what do you think about with Curtis Blades? Because obviously he's not ducking an Aspinall rematch, but, you know, he does get the W. He does get the win bonus. And, you know, if I'm Curtis, I'm trying to move on and 
and take out either Tuivasa or gone if, you know, the calendar aligns. What are your thoughts on what they do now with Curtis? You know, if that's a possibility, then, yeah, he, he would obviously be pushed to to move on from a rematch against Aspinall. A lot of that is is really dependent on what the injury is for Aspinall and how long yes. that's going to that's going to take you know a turnaround that i think it's in his benefit to take a rematch like if they could do this within a couple months three months which right. again is dubious i'd say it favors him hey go go and do that rematch um but if not then um i, I would be looking to try to try to move forward now a, a fight against someone like francis Ngannou at this stage of the game with a lot of guys kind of waiting in the in the wings uh, might be difficult especially given his history against someone like sure. francis Ngannou. but uh someone like a cyril gone uh, that can get interesting, and, and I like the way that he matches <clears throat> up against um, Cyril right now. Uh, Curtis, I think, is fighting with way more confidence. Uh, yeah. his, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the striking. It's setting up his takedowns. It's making him more confident on the feet if he doesn't, if he's not able to get that takedown. So he's looking great, man. I, I think whatever has changed in his game, he's he's looking good. And again, I'm not just basing it on this 15-second fight. Of course. Uh, but uh, he, he just seems overall better more confident as a fighter your read is spot on as usual and part of my read comes from cody donovan his coach who i believe i said on these airwaves pulled me aside before his previous win and was like god if you guys could only see him in the gym like if curtis had to go in there and beat some of these heavyweights in a kickboxing setting and you told him he couldn't shoot i think he'd beat a lot of these guys potentially you know i just think that he is the most decorated takedown artist in UFC heavyweight history. So at times he leans on that game and sort of instinctively goes there. But if you told him he couldn't do it, I think you'd find that he's a much better striker than people uh, see. All right, I want to ask you both this. Now, I'm contractually prevented from betting on not just the UFC, but also mixed martial arts and boxing, if you can believe that. Kenny doesn't bet on the UFC a whole lot. He picks his spots, lines his pockets. Brian Petrie's betting on this stuff every weekend. Brian, mm-hmm. you bet the PFL too? Uh, yeah, if if, a real, if something jumps out of me, yeah, for sure. So, Kenny, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go to Brian. I talked about this with Brian off the air. If I'm betting on the UFC and main events end due to injuries in round one back-to-back weeks, this would give me tremendous pause to bet mixed martial arts because, candidly, and maybe I shouldn't be admitting this to this audience, right, but it's like in baseball, in basketball, yeah, you can have a big injury early in a game that has a profound impact on what happens there too for. Uh, but, dude, I don't know, man. Like, if you're sitting on an Aspinall and an Ortega ticket or that's the last leg of a parlay you need to close out the last two weeks, like, I'm taking UFC 277 off. Dude, it's <laughs> it's crazy. You know, uh it's there's nothing more humbling than participating in mixed martial arts. And there's nothing more humbling than betting on mixed martial arts, because you think, you know, all these things and you, and you do all the math and you, the matchups and you watch the video and you could almost throw that out a lot of the times. Now there, there's some great value, especially on some of the guys that are, you know, on the undercard. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're putting together parlays, like, you know, I'm sure BP is almost every week, um, yeah. it, it's got to be stressful, man. I, again, here's the other thing, you know, about uh, research is get someone into the, some of the big camps to find out who's injured, who's not, who's mm-hmm. feeling good. Was it a good wake up? There are so many variables in mixed martial arts, man. It drives me insane. It's why it's my least favorite thing to do, picking fights. I hate it. <laughs> um, but, uh, Brian, how the hell do you not have 80 ulcers right now? Sure. 
Uh, it's I I just it's the bounces. I I bounce well on the yeah year. I had my money on yeah. He was an underdog, so I was wow. like, okay, you know, you can't get them all to go your way. Yeah. I get more bummed out about the decisions. Like if you're if you you know, I usually do three leg parlays, and it's always that last leg, and it's always some kind of fucking decision that really drives me nuts. The wife knows, leave me alone for a little bit until I until I settle down. But when something like this happens, it's a really unfortunate. I had Aspinall; he's going to close out a four leg parlay for me. I wish I could have hedged, you know, maybe the beginning of next year when Ohio gets their shit together, I can, I can hedge out. But um, yeah, it's just all about the bounces, man. You just kind of, kind of put your head forward and, you know, and be like, Hey, I had the right read there. I don't know if I had the right read on Aspinall because those 15 seconds, Curtis blades look pretty goddamn good. But um, yeah, you just got to kind of be confident in yourself. And and that's one thing I've, I haven't had too lack of thereof in my life is confidence. So I just, I just rebound like a quarterback short memory, baby. We're on next week. Yeah. I believe your wife sometimes will watch this show, Bri, but I'm going to ask yeah. you, does she know every bet that you place or not necessarily in terms of um, She knows she, she – Oh, pause she, there. She loves going with me. Like, so we drive to Indiana and we take the kids. She likes spending time and I'm locked in on my phone and she's, you know, doing something with the kids. But no, she, she probably knows like who I'm rooting for or who the parlay is or whatever. Obviously, she knows I'm with Chris, but – this Saturday, she wasn't home. Yeah, thankfully, she wasn't home because I had a pretty rough Saturday. Huh. She had a birthday party with the kids to go to, so uh, I had some time to myself to kind of stew in my house. But no, I would say maybe 50%. She doesn't watch my show. She just watches this. I think the stare at John. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, my wife is not an Anakin Florian podcast listener, nor is she a viewer, and she does not know like when the, the Boston Celtics beat the Miami Heat to go to the NBA Finals. Uh, she does not know that that's a a four-figure loss for the family. She has no idea. Uh, and candidly, I've stopped telling her like when the Warriors then beat the Celtics and we win three grand, you know, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of that's just cleaning up the mess from them. Sure. The Celtics eliminating the Nets and the Heat and uh, so everybody yesterday else. at the Red Sox game, John, when you were cheering for the Red Sox losing, she had no idea what was going on. She's like, what's, what's happening? <laughs> you know, my brother said to me, he's like, dude, how did you not have two dimes on the Blue Jays when you're going to be in the building? You bet against the Red Sox almost every day. I was a little bit caught up. And Cody did chime in in the chat room. It would not be right if the Red Sox didn't lose the kids first trip to Fenway. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot to lean into there, right? Because at least for a Red Sox fan born in the 1970s, like myself, there was a lot of suffering before um, before World Series championships dating to 2004. All right. Can I get to Patty Pimblett and then we'll circle back to your Let's guy, Chris it. Curtis. Bry. Is that okay? Let's do it. Let's do it. Patty the Batty Pimblett, Ken Flo, not just a striker, man. This is a willing grappler. He has good offensive jujitsu, very good back taker, tremendous chokes. Interesting stylistic matchup, I thought, against Jordan Levitt. Seemed like the commentary maybe thought that Levitt's strength was holding up pretty well early on in this fight. Um, but Petrie on these airwaves said last week that you know, even at minus 250, minus 260, he was racing to the window to bet Patty Pimblett. And um, as usual with Patty, you didn't have to wait for the judges to get involved. Uh, your thoughts on Patty Pimblett, Ken Flo, keeping it going here in the UFC. Yeah, I, I ended up changing my pick uh, yesterday. Um, mm. And I just saw a Patty Pimblett that was extremely confident. And uh, Jordan, I think maybe being an, un, you know, uh, foreign territory a little bit literally and figuratively in his mind, um, you know, maybe didn't have the same confidence or approach. Now he was looking okay. He was doing a good job in the clinch, um, but really wasn't getting anywhere so much. Um, you know, Patty was able to fight out of a lot of those positions. And when it came down to it, it was Patty that was doing a lot more damage, uh, both with, with 
uh, taking advantage of the positions he was achieving uh, against Jordan Levitt and with his striking a little bit more. Um, Patty just is that kind of guy that when the lights are brightest, that's when he shines as well. Um, he is a guy that uh, is going to allow his skills to flourish. I still think he's got some work to do with his striking. He's looking sharper when I'm seeing hit him, like when I'm seeing him hit pads and sparring and stuff like that. He's looking much better. But in the fight, um, sometimes he leads with his chin a little bit too much, which he's going to have to clean up as he starts to uh, approach the more elite guys in that division. But man, he's exciting to watch. Um, you know, it seems like he's working very hard. He's saying a lot of the right things. He's got a lot of fans for a reason. Uh, and I think he's going to, you know, de definitely going to rise higher and higher, both in that division uh, and in the fans' eyes. Brian, I'm a huge fan of Patty Pimblets. Uh, yeah. And that says a lot about my feelings for him as a human being, not just an athlete. Um, mm -hmm. I got a chance to spend a little time with him in Arizona recently at a restaurant. And, uh, you know, he's the real deal, man, not just as a fighter, but the real article. I mean, you saw what he did with his post-fight interview, mm -hmm. sort of trying to help men with mental health issues and, and suicidal thoughts. And uh, I'm not sure he could have articulated himself any better than he did in that setting if he had 100 chances on that microphone. Uh, your thoughts on the Patty Pimblett show over the weekend, Brian? Yeah, first and foremost, I love the post-fight speech that he gave. I mean, I have friends and family in my life who, who struggle with that, and I think it's very important that men speak up. You know, we're, we're these alpha males, you know, the, the or, you know, patriarch of the family, but we can't speak. I think that's a really good message coming from a badass fighter. Like, hey, listen, talk talk it out. Let's let's get through this. So I think that was really cool. I really uh, respect that and appreciate it. As far as the skills, the guy's good. Um, I think the UFC is going to have to still be careful with who they give them to. I think the reason I ran to the window and bet bet Pat, uh, pity uh, pity Patty was because uh, I love the matchup with Levitt. I just didn't see Levitt having anything for him. Um, he did the right thing, you know. Uh, I thought he maybe shoot a little more doubles as opposed to clinching, but I just saw Patty win this fight. It's a really good matchup for him. I think they again they got to be careful. I saw someone in one of the comments that you sent out a tweet, John, that they were like, hey, maybe give him Tony Ferguson. I, I I don't agree with that at all. Do not give him Tony Ferguson. I don't care what you think about Tony Ferguson right now. Patty's not ready for that. Um, I, I say ease him in and, and make the right matchups for him. I think the kid's a star. He's a finisher. He's obviously got a good look. Uh, he's funny, and uh, he's exciting. He's an exciting fighter. So uh, I thought he looked pretty good, but there's obviously, like Kenny said, the chin was still up a little bit. And um, there, there's some some things to iron out. But other than that, I mean, you, you match him up right. This kid's going to go go places and be a huge star. He already is. I mean, Dave Portner's there wearing the head, the the the, the padding yeah, yeah. wig. I mean, you know, people are into it. And I want to see him fight outside of uh, outside of um, the UK. I want to see what he is in America. Because that was a big test for Connor coming over here. He went to Boston, which was very smart. I kind of want to see like Patty in Vegas or something like that, see how, how many people come out for him, which I'm sure is going to be plenty. All right, well, you made the segue for me, and I promise I'm going to get all of Ken Flo's thoughts on Petty Pimblett and his future at 155 pounds because I do hope he stays at 55, yeah. even if some suggest, Kenny, it's not a championship ceiling. I don't want to see him cut down to featherweight, but uh, Patty Pimblett was on the ESPN Plus post show, and um, he referenced our chance meeting at a restaurant in Arizona in terms of where and when Patty's next fight uh, might be. Cody, do you have that audio, sir? And John Anna told me when I see him in Arizona, he's like, I need to commentate on one of your fights. So, John, I'm coming, fella. December, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, the fight I, capital of the world. We're coming. It's, yeah, it's better than the scouts as well. <laughs> that is
Gotta love Molly McCann there too. Let us come. Let us come. Uh, (laughs) Credit to the ESPN plus post show there after UFC fight night. But yeah, I mean, basically I, you know, had a few drinks. I see Patty Pimblett at the restaurant. I'm like, dude, you gotta fight on pay-per-view, man. You, you know, it's not fighting in London, man. You know, you fight on pay-per-view in the United States of America. So I, I do believe his next fight um should be on pay-per-view, even though mm-hmm. I understand why they keep trotting him out in London. But Kenny, what are your thoughts on Patty Pimblett right now? I mean, there's a lot of room above him to develop. There's a lot of developmental time. I don't know exactly how old he is. Brian, you know how old uh, Patty Pimblett is? 27, 28. Kempfo, what are your thoughts on Patty Pimblett now? And and I know it's a hard question to ask in 2022, but his ceiling at 155 pounds. You know, I, I certainly think he's um, a, a, a gamer, man. He's a guy who loves to fight. He he, both, um, you know, is capable of executing when he needs to, right? And when he gets the guy hurt, I love his killer instinct, man. He does not fuck around. So I, I, I love that. Um, I also love the fact that he is going out and cross training. You know, he's not just staying put in Liverpool. He's going out and training with guys like Justin Flores, a tremendous, um, you know, judo coach and, and grappler in his own right, who's been training a lot of guys. Ronda Rousey, of course, uh, what you know, uh, was one of um, his uh, disciples. And sure. you know, he's he's an excellent coach when it comes to grappling, and he's going out. And it shows that you know, Patty knows that there's more information out there and he's going to the United States. He's training with other people. He's, he's trying to get better. Um, and I think we'll see that pay off over time. That's what you need to do. If you are trying to be an elite fighter, you need to train with the best minds you could find and the best training partners you can find. So uh, I think if he's doing that, he will certainly get better. Um, I, I think that from, as far as like the star quality, um, he, he's got all that. Oh. He says all the right things. Um, and again, just to reiterate what you guys were saying post fight, um, you know, it, it's a great message. Just sharing the fact that, you know, you're not alone out there. If you are dealing with things like depression or any type of mental health issues, it's so important, especially for men who are, are afraid to speak up, to talk about those things. Um, that is obviously very uh, near and dear to my heart, having lost someone very close to me. Um, you know, it, it's super important. So, you know, I think his head is in the right place. Um, all that stuff, how quickly he develops as a fighter. It, it's all up to Patty, um, really. Um, but I do think he's going to improve. Uh, and to reiterate what Brian said, the right matchups, it's critical. Uh, again, mm-hmm. you look at, you know, Sean O'Malley and the fights that he has taken, uh, you know, not 90% of those were just spot on for where he's at in his career. And it's very important that the people around Patty, his coaches, his managers, um, get him the right fights to develop. Because, you know, just because you have a lot of potential, it doesn't mean you start fighting top 10 guys straight away. You need to develop. Look at Charles Oliveira and, Charles Oliveira and yeah. how he came back from some of his losses, started taking the right fights, and it allowed his experience uh, to become one of his strengths later on um, in, in his career. So uh, I think for Patty, just keep taking the right fights, keep training with different people, keep improving. And uh, he could potentially be a top 10, top five guy. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting because it's such a marquee division. And even as I look at UFC 277 and the first lightweight's name that I see on the card, a prelim fight coming up this weekend is Dracar Close. And I think that's a guy that a lot of people might suggest in terms of the skill set um, is above Patty Pimblett right now. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that question, you know, with respect to both athletes. You know, I think one difference with Sean O'Malley is that Sean O'Malley really one or two fights in even after fighting like Terry on Ware, at least felt like he was top 15 ready. And I'm not suggesting that he was. 
Um, but Patty Pimblett, born January 1995, still just 27 years old. Thankfully, there's about 80 lightweights on the roster from which to choose. But um, yeah, Brutal. star power in droves. And, you know, he's able to be himself, you know, certainly the closest thing to Conor McGregor for me. I just think he has an ability on a microphone, doesn't need to script anything. He can just be himself and execute and articulate in a masterful way. And for me, I could listen to these scousers, these Liverpudlians yeah. talk like all day. The fact that now yeah. I have him saying my full name on a microphone, like it's my new ringtone. Like I could literally <laughs> listen to Molly McCann and Patty Pimblett and Darren Till talk all day long, mm-hmm. you know? All right. Uh, what happened to your buddy, Chris Curtis? I mean, all hail Jack Hermanson, right? I did think that Jack Hermanson was going to come in here and really perform well, which yeah. he did. Um, but talk to me, Brian. I mean, obviously, Chris yeah. has, has sounded off on Instagram in terms of, in terms of some of the pitfalls. Um, had sure. a flat night. Opponent certainly did not. What were your thoughts on your guy, Chris Curtis, going down by unanimous decision to uh, to Jack Hermans? So I got buried on Twitter. Twitter guys were coming after me about my guy, and that's fair. Listen, I'm a loyalty guy. You know, I'm a I'm a you know um, I'm going to carry his flag still, even though I don't agree with with what he did after the fight, during the fight. Um, yeah, Chris just to me, and I haven't spoken to Chris about this. He just seemed frustrated with himself. I feel like he thought that on the feet he was going to have the advantage, and Jack wasn't slowing down. And Jack had a great game plan of moving around, and Chris couldn't catch up with him. He was lunging with body shots and just really couldn't catch him. The length played a, a big part in that. Chris seemed like he obviously got frustrated with Jack, but also with himself. He wasn't cutting him off properly. He's kind of chasing. He was actually literally running after him at one point. Um, and that really just frustrated him. I, I saw Chris a little nervous in the beginning. I, I, I tweet, or excuse me, I text Ken Flo and Cody. I say, he seems a little nervous to me, right? He came out to Sweet Caroline. They didn't show the intro, or excuse me, they didn't show the walkout, but the amazing Heidi videoed it for me and sent it to me because, that, I mean, what a what a stud coming out of Sweet Caroline. Obviously, the London crowd's going to go nuts for that. Um, but yeah, he looked flat. I mean, there's no way around it. I think, you know, this is his eighth fight or sixth fight in some odd months. You know, he wants to fight because he's like, I'm 35. My time is now. I get that. But take a beat. You know, Jack Hermanson's a stud. I think Chris knew this was going to be the biggest opportunity of his life fighting the top. He was going to have a number next to his name of a guy who, you know, this is a guy who got passed over so many times. And I think all that boiled up to very emotional. I think, um, you know, the game plan didn't go the way he wanted. And uh, so that's the only thing I could think of why he acted the way he acted. Uh, He was very emotional and, and, and there Jack did nothing wrong besides put out a really great, great game plan and, and stuck to it. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to defend my guy. I love my guy, but uh, yeah, I, I was, I was unsure what happened. I, you know, the double fingers, I was like, Oh no, Chris. Cause the other time I've seen him do this. Cause he's like the sweetest, nicest guy in the world. Yeah. He's the man was Valparaiso Indiana against Blah Muhammad. Uh, he, he 2014. 2014, he had an issue with Blau cause Blau, dominated him and at the end of the fight was on his back doing this and playing to the crowd and chris got very emotional in that fight they are now friends it looks like jack and chris are friends but listen we're not playing badminton here guys i mean this is fighting emotions run high um and you know i think chris is going to regret it you know it's a little unprofessional but you know he had an off night it was a big night for him and uh you know it is what it is man i love that you pronounce Bilal correctly uh kemflo what do you have for us on jack hermanson and chris curtis you know, fighting martial arts in general, uh, it is a truth teller. Um, it is a truth teller in in the weaknesses that you show on a technical level, but is also a truth teller in um, how um, how you approach life emotionally. And I, I thought Chris Curtis was very candid in his approach. Um, you know, after the fight and how he was saying, "Hey, listen, I, I made mistakes. I, I got really upset. 
that that is something that is a weakness of mine. Uh, I got to get better with it. Um, I also think that you have to factor in the fact that he has been extremely busy as a fighter. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've seen it with guys like Donald Cowboy Cerrone and others who, you know, in the beginning, we're all cheering from, wow, can you believe that? That's so cool. He's fighting every month. Well, you can't fight every month and expect a perfect performance all the time, yeah. right? Your body can't take it. Your mind can't take it. Um, so th- that is difficult as well. But I think where Hermanson really succeeded was with his footwork, right? Mm-hmm. Not only was that something that I didn't see from Hermanson in, in the past that I thought was a new wrinkle to his game, but it also showed a vulnerability in Chris Curtis's game where I think he was too flat-footed. And I think it didn't allow him to cut off the cage and it didn't allow him to throw more than one or two punches. You have to get that guy in front of you and you got to throw more volume against someone like Hermanson. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Chris Curtis is good enough where he could do that. And if he was doing that and he was landing some shots that were hurting Hermanson, if he was throwing an extra two or three after a lot of those combinations, he could have had Hermanson out of there. So um, I think he's going to learn a lot from this. I I think Chris Curtis, um, you know, had more than what he showed. Um, he's going to have to go back, work on his footwork, um, and, and get better there. I, I think he's much better when um, he's going against guys that are just moving forward, just trying to take him down. It's an easier fight for Chris, and I think this is one of those he's going to learn a lot from. Hermanson has uh, more I, I, weapons in his arsenal than I think we we anticipated. So he looked better. Hermanson should mm-hmm, be no applauded because he looked better than what yeah. I've seen him before. He was moving in and out. He seemed more fluid. He wasn't as stiff uh, as when I've seen him on, on his feet. So I thought it was a good win for him. Um, and yeah. That's yeah, it. and I think Hermanson emotionally dealing with the change in opponent handled things masterfully. Obviously, yeah. we're focusing on the action man in some part because he's a dear friend who goes way back with our guy, Brian Petrie. But yeah, I mean, I think you guys hit on everything. I would just sort of highlight what Ken Flo talked about in terms of the schedule, right? Comes off the Hadolfo Vieta fight. And for better or for worse, I would largely say for worse, when you get an opportunity against somebody in the top eight, um, you know, taking a number is a really big deal. And it took Chris mm-hmm. Curtis a long time to get to the UFC. You got to figure mm-hmm. out a way to take that fight. He took it. Um, it didn't work out for him, but... Um, you know, I certainly think that he'll be well served for having had that experience. Um, I want to rifle through some of these other performances. Nikita Krilov over Alexander Gustafson. And again, we should be celebrating Krilov. I mean, go yeah. look at the dude's Wikipedia page. Go look it's at crazy. all the green fucking stripes. Look at all the different finishes. I mean, there have been some injuries and some circumstances that have prevented him from making the run. Um, I'm also going to read this tweet from Daniel Cormier on the Gustafson side and, and get your collective thoughts on, on both the winning and losing fighters. So Daniel, as you guys probably know, uh, fought Alexander Gustafson to a split decision at UFC 192 in 2015. A lot of people felt like the fight could have gone either way. Um, I did have it for DC for whatever that's worth. Uh, I am not objective. Um, Here's the tweet from Daniel Cormier. Gustafson is done. He needs to walk away. These shots are hard, but he used to eat those. The chin is gone. Walk away, my friend. We all have an expiration date. One of the best to not have had a title. So Kenny, I'm not in the business of retiring fighters. You know, I thought this was uh, a big elbow from Nikita Krilov, if I'm not mistaken, that sort of rocked uh, Gus. Maybe it wasn't an elbow. It looked like that to me watching on my cell phone a couple of uh, pints deep at a barbecue. Um, But what are your (laughs) thoughts on Krilov and victory and Gustafson here in defeat? Yeah, I I tweeted, um, I don't know what's harder, uh, becoming a professional fighter or retiring as a professional fighter. fighter. (laughs) When When you don't know. You know, uh, when your when your time has come, I, I think it's it's a difficult thing for a lot of fighters because 
um, in, in many ways, it's you saying goodbye to a big part of yourself, right? You have to tell yourself that you are no longer a fighter, and that is a tough pill to swallow. A lot of people are mentioning, oh, you know, ego, it's tough. Maybe, you know, uh, money, I think, is more of a factor than anything else, too. Um, you know, if you need that money, you, that's the only thing you kind of know how to do and you're going to keep doing it. But, um, yeah, I, I think that there's no question that it's time for Alexander Gustafson to stop fighting. Um, I, I you know he's been dealing with a back injury for a long time that that's you know, we spoke about that. And, you know, when you've been around for a long time, you know, it's just it's hard to keep that hunger alive. Um and uh, for Gustafson, um, I, I've been seeing it. He's been inconsistent with a lot of his performances, even in some wins. Um, so to me, it, it just didn't make sense for me to, to pick him. So right, I, I, I hope that he's been saving money. I hope he has other things that are, are going to fulfill him. I think that's the big thing is finding something else that is going to come close to fighting is a very difficult thing. Nothing's going to come close to that level of excitement or that level of discipline and that level of focus. But you need something. You need something to fill that. Um, and I know that for me as a fighter, I thought that I was just going to retire. And of course, I had other things. I had commentary gigs and things like that. But um, still, I, I need to be participating in martial arts um, for me to to have that um, meaning in my life, um, even if I'm kind of broken in half. Um, I right. still need that. So um, I hope that Gustafson can find that, you know, can fill that void with something. Um, but for Nikita, he's a tough out for anybody, man. He is hungry. He is dangerous. He is good everywhere. He's focused. Um, and, you know, it seems like he's been fighting for a long time, but he's still a young kid. You know, he's still yeah. a younger, younger yeah. guy, I should say. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was a good win for him. Alexander Gustafson is a big name. But but I hope that he is able to retire uh, mentally, uh, economically, and all that yeah. stuff, man. So for a lot of NBA basketball players, Bri, maybe in their final season, they make the veteran minimum or, you know, mm -hmm. they're not always realizing their biggest payday at the end of their careers. Whereas right. for a lot of UFC fighters, that is the reality that the last fight of their careers, they're making six figures to show. And perhaps there's a spousal conversation that's as sure. simple as, hey, honey, you know, I know I'm you know, not able to take a shot anymore, but if I just show up, make weight and do the best I can, I'm bringing $300,000 home to the family. And it's a tough right. thing. Um, you know, as I digress on the broadcasting side, the, the New York Yankees broadcast team right now for this season, Ken Flo, Susan Waldman is 75 years old and John Sterling is 83. Like, let us pray that Ken Flo and I don't <laughs> stick around that long. You know, like I ain't trying to do this past 60. Let the young guys come in. Um, Brian, what are your thoughts on Gustafson and, and ultimately Nikita Krilov there with the big one? Yeah, so Nikita looked good. His biggest biggest Achilles heel is his fight IQ, in my opinion. There's fights that he's winning, and then he kind of just falls apart a little bit. He's very well-rounded. He's going to give guys problems at 205. And I thought this was actually a really good matchup for Gus um, because, it, you know, it was – I thought Gus was going to wrestle. Being in that room with Chimaev, being in that room with Latifi, I thought he was going to come out and maybe switch some things up, maybe revamp his career. He obviously didn't get a chance to do that. He got caught early. But, yeah, I mean, DC's kind of right on the nose here. I mean, it looks like he can't really take a shot like he used to be able to. He seemed motivated. He made the weight, you know, because he was at heavyweight uh, against Werdum's last fight. Made the weight, looked in good shape, but you know, everyone has the expiration date now. Like Kenny, this guy has been a lifelong martial artist, so you know he's going to want to stay relevant. I just hope it's not the bare knuckle boxing route that would break my heart. <laughs> I just hope it's not. Yeah. Um, but he's got that, you know. I don't know if he has stake or if he has ownership or whatever. But he kind of was one of the first guys to come out of that Swedish gym. 
Um, the All Stars, I mean, maybe take like maybe a James Krause role where like you're you're a young guy and you're you're maybe want to still fight, but you're you're gonna pivot to coaching. I don't know if that's in his wheelhouse right. or that's what he wants to do, but um, to stick around the sport, you got a lot of young guys coming out of that gym that could be that could be useful. But you know, I mean, Gustafson been in some great fights. The Jones one fight, DC fight. I mean, the Glover Texera fight, which doesn't get talked about. That was an absolute yeah. war oh, as well. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I don't like seeing guys get hurt. I hope, you know, he makes the right decision for him and his family, but you're right. I mean, listen, if someone offered me $300,000, I'd step in there with Francis Agano. What is he going to do? Knock me uh, out, shit my pants. Right. I don't care. I got 300 right. grand. You know what right. I mean? So, right. uh, you Hopefully know, you gotta do what's best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta do, you gotta do that, uh, for your family. So, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. It really is. But I, ho- I hope he makes the right choice. See, if I go in there with Engano, I probably don't walk out. You, know, you don't think so? No, I can't take a shot. I've been concussed three times in my life, twice out cold. Uh, wow. Real quick before we move on. Molly McCann did it again. She did yeah. it again. Yeah. Watching on my cell phone. Is this a highlight from uh, a previous show or did she just <laughs> land another spinning back elbow really hard to a bone in someone else's face? Uh, I know Ken Flo has a healthy appreciation for this. I would just add that in February of 2021, Molly McCann had lost two straight. Nobody was talking about her. You fast forward 18 months. She's got a lucrative deal with Barstool Sports. Yep. She has two of the better knockouts in UFC women's history, to be sure. Uh, another bonus this weekend. And, um, you know, it couldn't happen to uh, a better human being. I mean, mm-hmm. fucking meet all Molly McCann, Kempo. What do you have? <laughs> She's got some great energy, man. She, she loves to fight. Uh, she seemed extremely focused and determined in this fight. And. Uh, and Goldie, you know, Hannah Goldie is, is jacked, man. But when you look at the way that Molly McCann was standing, like her stance, she's super rooted to the ground and everything she throws is with power. You could see how she's generating it, not from her hands or from the rotation of her torso, but from the floor as it's supposed to be done. So the, the way that she positions herself is, is really nice to watch, man. There's not a whole lot of women that throw uh, and are disciplined with their stance like Molly. And uh, that really was the difference. Once she started uh, finding her range and landing shots, you could see Hannah Goldie didn't want any part of that. She, yeah. It was just too much power um, come, coming her way. And, uh, you know, I, I love it. I love seeing Molly win, um, mainly because she always has a drink in her hand immediately after. It, oh, it's, like, it's like must-see TV after that. Uh, so yeah. I love it. But Mo- Molly, Molly's going to be a star, man. It, it, it's great mm. to see uh, her get that kind of push. Um, and she's going to be a problem for a lot of people out there, man. Seemingly, she would have pretty good alcohol tolerance, Brian. Seemed like she was going pretty hard for several hours. Um, what are your thoughts on Molly McCann? I'm looking up the rankings right now. I mean, is she not even ranked? I, I, I haven't looked at those in a while. I'm not sure. I think she's an absolute stud star in the making. The difference I see from her earlier fights now is confidence. She was late. I yeah. mean, she is just confidence in her hands, her power. She goes, I know what I can do. That right hand that that started the 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 end for Hyena Goldie was picture perfect. Yeah. It was beautiful. And the before what plagued her in the past was she would get taken down a lot. And then she kind of was like, Okay, I'm gonna grapple now, right? Now she's really finding your game. Like, I'm gonna keep it on the feet. My my reach is is pretty minimal. She doesn't have the longest arms in the world, but she knows how to deal with it. And she knows how to step in and step forward and just confidence just soaring through the roof. I, I love her. She's action-packed. She's an exciting fighter. I had a buddy text me who is kind of a casual fan, not the biggest fan in the world. He goes, I'm excited for Meatball, which just says everything yeah. about her star power. And then she goes out and does that again, which is amazing. 
Um, you know, the Barstool deal is really helping her out because that's how more people are knowing her personality. And she's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think she's, if she's not ranked, I think she's ready for a ranked opponent. I think, you know, you match her up with someone and maybe we'll stand with her and really see another action packed fight. That could be a main event if they want to go back to London again yeah. on a fight night. Yeah. That could be co-main event. I mean, she's yeah. an absolute stud. Uh, uh, sky's the limit for her. I love her. Three straight wins for Meatball Molly McCann. Cody's telling me she's three and two in the promotion. That's not right. She's got at least six UFC wins. Uh, lost her debut by technical submission to Jillian Robertson, but unranked right now. But when you do look at that top 15, you got Amanda Hebos at 15, Tracy Cortez at 14, and then it goes up from there. Um, Meatball Molly McCann's getting a big fight. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see her get a little main event show. I love it. Let's do it. Um, Maybe we'll do a meatball tattoo bet actually on the Anakin Florian podcast coming up All unless right. the masses are going to find a way to be offended by that. All right, before we move <laughs> along, congratulations to Vulcan Uzdemir over Paul Bearju at Craig 3027 yeah. times three. That's a big win for, for Vulcan, uh, who, as I said last week, still is really hungry and wants it. And, um, I think his effort proved as much JSP man. Jonathan Pierce is going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think he'll be ranked in the not too distant future. He gets a bonus for the finish of Makwan Amir Khani. And uh, overall, a lot of decisions early, a lot of finishes late. We congratulate the athletes on a successful return jaunt to uh, London, England. All right. It is time to spin things forward. UFC 277 back in Saturday night in Dallas, Texas, USA. We're going to go four wide here for the pronunciation of the week. As we call on our producer, he is Cody Merrow. There he is. What's up, kid? Oh, man, I, I love <laughs> watching Meatball Molly McCain out there. Oh, this guy. Any, any adult swim fans will get that. The Meatwad reference? I okay. mean, it yeah. went over my head, bud. I'm right. sorry. I love the voice, but it's like DC it. dropping WWE stuff on a pay-per-view broadcast. <laughs> Looks to his left. Me and Rogan literally... It yeah. could also be a Bryce Mitchell impression, so it's not like it's that far. Oh, just, come on. Threw Brycey under the bus. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, we'll hear from Cody and the back end of the show with his thoughts on uh, London, but let's get to the pronunciation of the week. So this is an interesting light heavyweight fight, right? Because the pronunciation we're not asking you for today is Nikolai Negumeriano, right? A little five-syllable surname. So, Nikolai Negumeriano fights uh, this fellow light heavyweight, and Cody's going to tell us uh, the name of his opponent, not now, but right now. Yeah, well, good thing it's not the other one, huh? You'd be you run into an HR violation. You say that one a couple too many times. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, that's that's a tough that's a tough one. Uh, so I think I'm not going to overthink this one. Uh, Ehor Poteria. I mean, thank God we're not tracking your record. Maybe our intern <laughs> Will Berger wants to start tracking your your uh, record in the pronunciation of the week. But uh, let's hear uh, Ehor say his name. Eher duelist Poteria. I'm sorry? Eher duelist Poteria. Poteria. Yeah, so it's Poteria. It's spelled so it P-O-T-I-E-R-I-A. Yeah. Right, one of the rare ones that you actually say how it's spelled. Like, what yeah. do you fucking do for me, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an L, my man. Uh, we love you, though. See, he I should mean, have the nickname as Eeyore, though. You know, like oh. Wendy, Wendy the Pooh's Eeyore. Wendy I mean, Pooh, I yeah. Know. All right. Maybe people get behind that. Yeah. Well, I guess I got a fight again today. Let me go. And, uh, yeah, I like I'll that. I'll take hey, this uh, L. Yeah, take that L. Better luck next time. We'll talk to you in about 15 minutes. Uh um, right, see you, But boys. we got to make some predictions for UFC 277 and mixed martial arts fanatics as the fighters face off this weekend. You can take down your own big win with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC this Saturday 
New customers can bet just $5 on any fighter to win and get $100 in free bets, win or lose. Of course, our guy Brian Petrie, not a new customer. He's been crossing the border to bet at the DraftKings Sportsbook for years, but that's not all. If you are a new customer, you can also double your winnings on a same-game parlay. I love this option. You combine, like, multiple bets. Which fighter will win? How long the particular fight will last? Maybe takedown propositions as well. Just a cool way to attack the board. And perhaps you like Kai Kata France to win. If you add a leg to the parlay, maybe him to win by finish, uh, you're essentially doubling your winnings. Also, we remind you, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ANIK, A-N-I-K. Bet $5 on any UFC 277 fighter to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. The code is ANIK. This Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. Another week in the black. For our resident handicappers, they are Brian Petrie and Kenny Florian. If you have listened to the whole show today, and by the way, sorry, no Ray Longo minute today, okay? All the Minutemen out there, blame <laughs> fucking him, okay? He's in Las Vegas. Dennis Bazooka, I believe, fights on Dana White's Contender Series coming up here Tuesday, July 26th. And Ray doesn't like the morning, so we weren't going to ask him to come on at 8 a.m. Pacific. So if you are one of those few listeners that fast forwards to, like, Ray's segment, um, you know, I would tell you to pound sand, but I don't want to alienate the listenership. <laughs> um, you can get on Ray at Ray Longo MMA. Hit him up on Twitter because his Instagram got hacked. But, you know, this is his decision to choose sleep over the Anakin Florian podcast. So, uh, you know, Petrie answered the call today. He worked all morning. All right. Both guys in the black last week, if you tailed them. And the first pick for us today will be the featured prelim at welterweight. We'll start with you, Brian. Matthew Semmelsberger, minus 170. Alex Morono, plus 145. Semmelsberger, 4-1 and one in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken, only lost to Chaos Williams, favored here against uh, the great white Alex Morono. PP, your thoughts? Love this fight. Love love, love me some semi the gem, uh, Jedi. Excuse me. 4-1 in the UFC. The Chaos Williams fight was interesting because Chaos Williams had big, big power. And semi was a little timid at first, but then really picked it up in the second half of the fight. Trust this chin, trust this athleticism. And he's just been knocking dudes out. I mean, he knocked out, you know, Nate Diaz's right-hand man, Martin Sano, which was absolutely brutal. Um, and, you know, I think he's a future problem at 170, especially if he keeps that mullet. You know, he's, he's flopped his hair around a few times. But you get that mullet, man. You're yeah. going to climb the ranks. Morano's a guy I always overlook. I always overlook this guy. I picked against him pretty much every single time. Um, and, and he was a coach. He owned, runs his own gym. His fight IQ is through the roof. My biggest problem is there's times where he gets hit a little bit. He's a little bit chinny. He can be put down or whatever, but he's tough. And he's good on the ground. He's good everywhere. His boxing's kind of awkward. His timing's awkward. Um, I think Sellenberger's going to take a little bit to find him, find his rhythm in this fight. Minus 170 is getting me excited. I thought this would be two to one. Yeah. Uh, I like Semi the Jedi by KO here. Uh, I'm going to play both those. Same gay parlay, Semi, uh, yeah. Matt Sellenberger, the win, and by KO. Let's do it. All right, Patreon Semmelsberger by KO. So, Ken Flo, Alex Morono, right? Like, I might have a better body than Morono, like when I take my shirt off, right? <laughs> But this is a really good mixed martial artist. Went 3-0 in 2021, and I think sort of underappreciated in terms of his UFC body of work. Um, he's fought good competition, chasing a four-straight win here, but he is doing so as the underdog. Your thoughts on Semmelsberger and Morono here, a prelim live on ABC. I, I think Morono has put a lot of things together uh, to the point where he could do some damage. And I, and I think, um, you know, he is an interesting underdog pick here. However, I, I think Semmelsberger, Semmelsberger's 
uh, game, um, you know, his his wrestling in particular, um, you know, is going to be the difference. I, I think it's going to be tough for Morono to get him on the ground. If Morono's able to get him to the ground and do so consistently, Morono wins this fight. I think he's going to be way better on the ground than Semmelsberger. But Semmelsberger has a ton of power, man. And as BP was talking about, Morono does get hit. Um, you don't want to get hit with one of those shots from Semmelsberger. He's got a ton of power. Uh, very fast. He's an excellent athlete. He's also nasty in the clinch, which I think mm-hmm. where yeah. this fight is going to take place a lot. Morono is going to try to take it to the clinch. Uh, and Semelsberger is very good at mixing up knees, elbows, and, and short punches from that position. And he can put you out with any of those. So I like Semelsberger here as well. Kenny, you did a great job with that pick, but you said earlier in the program that you don't enjoy making picks. Like what, what could I possibly do to like, I don't know if there's a solution, really. I mean, I can't make them for obvious reasons. You know, yeah. maybe we could, you know, lessen the number you make and bring on another cap. I don't know. We got to think about it. But I hate I kind of hate the fact that for seven years I've made you pick like every UFC fight. You hate um, it started with MMA Live, man. I'm used to it now. That's right. That's, that's right. In 2008. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Big fight at light heavyweight here. Brian, we'll start with you. Magomed Ankalaev minus 435. Anthony Smith plus 350. So Ankalaev, obviously a man from whom big things are expected. Dropped the UFC debut with a second to go. Now he's won eight consecutive fights. Last fight, first UFC main event, unanimous decision win over Thiago Santos. Very dominant that night. That was back in March. Um, I'll get to Anthony Smith. He's pretty angry. Feels a little bit disrespected. Um, But what are your thoughts ultimately on this big fight live on pay-per-view Saturday night? value boys come out and play. Uh-huh. <laughs> for all the younger generation. That was a movie. That was from a movie called warriors. Okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm old. Uh, listen, this is a value boy play here. If I've never seen one, Anthony Smith has been in there with the better guys. He gave John Jones a good fight. He went through a skid. He's on a three fight winning streak. Confidence at all time high at plus three fifty. You gotta be smiling year to year. However, I have made a very big stance on my own podcast that I'm a big ankle life guy. I think this guy is the real deal. I think he's good everywhere. Um, the only thing I need from him is I need the killer back. I need the fucking murderer back because yep. he let Santos off the hook. The Santos fight was a little snooze fest and I felt like he could have done a lot more. Now I know Santos has big, big power. You got to be careful, but man, I thought, I thought he could have really done some more in that fight in uh, the Smith fight though. Smith though, man, Ah, God, you know, do you remember the Hector Lombard fight where Lombard said he doesn't respect him, doesn't know his name. He's yelling at him while he's beating him. Like, this is the guy that's got the dog in him that you want to back, right? But I just can't get away from my Ankaliyev take from earlier in the year. I I really think he's good. I can't play him at minus 435. I just can't. I don't like him in a parlay. Um, I think I'm going to touch him by KO or decision, whatever's the, the higher prop for me. Um, okay. just to kind of save my save my teeth a little bit. But my pick is going to be Chalk Boy City and Kaliyev, but, man, I, I do love Anthony Smith at that number. And to Brian's point, Kenny, Anthony Smith has been a guy who has channeled emotion in the right way in selective matchups over the years. I just saw him. He said he's strong as an ox, the strongest he's ever been. He did leave Factory X for what it's worth, so we'll have more on that throughout the week. So some training camp changes. I believe he's staying closer to home there in Nebraska. Hmm. Um but a, a, a title eliminator here, Ken Flo, at 205 pounds. Your thoughts on Smith as a big underdog here against Ankalaev? Yeah, b- beware of betting against Anthony Smith when he's an underdog. Yeah, I think that's when he's most dangerous, especially when he feels like his back is up against the wall. I think that's when Anthony uh, can do some serious damage. So I do think there's some value there. Um, but uh, like BP, I- I'm a believer in Ankalaev. And in fact, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if he fights for the belt. Uh, you know, maybe end of, end, end of this year, maybe next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think he's very good. He's got sharp hands. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, he's got to let him rip, man. I think in that fight against Santos, uh, he was very tentative. He was very careful. And, of course, you know, Santos is a guy with a lot of power, but perhaps he was a little bit uh, too respectful of that power. So for Ankalaev, if he fights the way he typically fights, um, I, I think he wins this one. I think he's sharper on the feet. I think where Anthony Smith can do some damages with his leg game, if he can get mm-hmm. those front kicks consistently down the middle, that could be interesting for Ankalaev to deal with. But I think Ankalaev is going to be seasoned enough and experienced enough to win this fight. Um, and, and, of course, he's got the wrestling background as well to stop a lot of those takedowns from Anthony Smith. I think that's where Anthony uh, could potentially get it done as well as on the ground. He is, you know... Um, very aggressive when he gets top position or if he's able to get superior position, uh, he's good with his submission. So, uh, but I, I like uncle live here. All right. That is your pay-per-view opener to be followed by a massive fight at flyweight. couple of guys we haven't seen in a while, Bri, Alessandre Pantoja, modest 155, Alex Perez plus 135. So winning streak is alive for Pantoja two in a row, uh, but he hasn't fought in almost a year. And on the Perez side, hasn't competed as you guys know, since he fought, for the title, that was almost two years ago. Um, you got an interim championship in this division Saturday night as well. So, needless to say, Bry, big spot for Pantoja and Perez. Which way are you going? Can my man Pantoja get a little bit of shine here? This dude's a killer. He's overlooked. Yeah. You know, I think he could be fighting for the interim. And I think if one of the co-men's, heaven forbid, they fall out, this guy's getting the call. I mean, that's just the way yeah. it is. Alex Perez has been hit with some kind of curse. I mean, six canceled fights. I know they all were his fault. He hasn't fought in two years. I, I think Perez is a very good fighter. His leg kicks are nasty. He can mix things up very well. But how's the mental? Are those six training camps you went through and then to get the fight? How's your money situation? What do you? What's your back against the wall? You know, you lost, you fought two years ago for two minutes and got choked out by Big Arrow, and then you just, we haven't seen you. You know, I just think Pantoja, though, is going to be a step ahead everywhere. His stand-up has really come along. I think he's really good on top. His jiu-jitsu is great. Um, I think the only area Perez has a leg up is the wrestling, which is Pantoja has struggled with in his career. I think he's trying to fix that, though. I like Pantoja here. That's going to be my pick. Um, I think if he gets Perez on top, uh, on the ground, on Perez's back, I think it's almost certain that, that Pantoja's going to win here. I like him by TKO sub. Whatever, Whatever's the better number. Let, let's All put right. the number on that one. Whatever's the better number. Clearly, Petrie has done his homework here as we sit here about five days out from UFC 277. Yeah, so some interesting circumstances, obviously, Kenny, for Alex Perez. Twice scheduled to fight Matt Schnell. Both of those fights go away once because of medical issues for Schnell, but Perez did miss weight for both of those fights. So there is a fight before the fight for Alex as well. Your thoughts on Pantoja here, uh, minus 155, Perez plus 135. This one was a tough one for me, actually. I actually, you know, agree with BP. I think that Alex Perez is a very good fighter. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the wrestling advantage. I think that's what makes it so interesting and or so difficult for me anyway to to make a pick here. Um, generally speaking, I think Pantoja is a little bit more explosive. He, he's very aggressive, but there's times where either he checks out or he gets tired or, or, or things start to get a little bit sloppy and that's when he's vulnerable. And that's where a guy like Perez could maybe come in there, uh, and take advantage because Perez is, is pretty technically sound in, in my opinion. I, I think, um, you know, he, when he's moving forward and when he's fighting smart, he's going to be a tough out for anybody. Uh, but um, I, I have to lean the, the way of Pantoja as well, just because I think he's got too much offense. And a lot of times he gets too far ahead of guys where he let he won't kind of let you back in. If he's able to do that, I, I think he wins here against Perez. So let's go with the Brazilian. 
All right, three predictions to go. We get to a featured bout at heavyweight. Now a pick em, by the way. Derek Lewis, minus 110. Sergey Pavlovich, minus 110 as well. The Black Beast knocked out by Tai Tuivasa back in February. He has lost two of his last three. And on the other side for Pavlovich, uh, some injuries, a lot of visa issues, and that has sort of been a big part of uh, the narrative, I guess. Didn't compete at all in 2020 nor 2021, um, but obviously came back this March and in a big way, Brian Petrie. How do you handicap Pavlovich's chances here as he tries to secure the biggest win of his career? Not many certainties in MMA, right? John Annis going to have a shaved dome. Kenny Florian's going to look gorgeous. And Derek Lewis is going to fight in Texas. You know what I mean? Like, that just dude just with three straight fights in Texas or something crazy like that. I know it's not Houston, it's Dallas, but and I'm surprised he's not the favorite here. He's, he's been in there with better competition. He's been in there with who the who's who. He didn't look great in the tie fight. He's got that separator with that power. He's got the long ball with that right hand. Um, you know, but disclaimer here, right? Every time I picked against or, or against or for Derek Lewis, I get it wrong. So whatever I pick here, the gen, the public, people listening should fade me because I can't get this guy right. Uh, Pavlovich, though, he came in the UFC with a lot of hype. I mean, this dude was destroying people over there in Europe. And, you know, he came in and he, and he, and he got stomped out by the ream early. And then it just kind of faded away. He's got People forget about him. He's a big monster of a man. And, you know, the visa issues and just the inconsistency, but he's also been finding winnable fights. He's been getting guys that are really good for him on paper. Derek Lewis, right. I don't know if it's great on paper. Um, I think he's got the advantage if he gets Derek Lewis down to the ground and gets on top. That's easier said than done because Derek just stands the fuck up most of the time. I don't know how he does. He just stands up. Um, but Pavlos does have some decent stand-up as well. He's longer. He, he likes to put a jab in front of his face. And I just think if he really doesn't do anything stupid or reckless, he should win this fight, which means you should bet Derek Lewis – I'm picking Pavlovich by TKO probably early in the second round. Um, but again, my confidence is just dog shit because I cannot get this guy right. So take it with a grain of salt. All right. Well done. Kempfler, what do you have? Derek Lewis, Sergey Pavlovich. Damn, I thought he was going to go with Derek Lewis. I'm going with Pavlovich as well. Um, I, I think that uh, this, this guy's got some potential, man. Uh, I think he's got big power. He's got to be careful trading and just standing and trading with someone like Derek Lewis. Um, and Derek Lewis, I agree, is one of the more difficult guys uh, to, to predict uh, for or against just because, you know, whether it's injuries or he's on or off, even within a fight, he can be inconsistent. So uh, tough guy to pick. Um, but I think for the most part, I know what uh, Pavlovich is going to uh, pa uh, Pavlovich is going to uh, show up with. Uh, so I, I like uh, Sergey here. See, the linguist can flow couldn't even let a slight mispronunciation go ahead and correct himself. You know? All right. Co-main <laughs> event. For the UFC interim flyweight title, Brandon Moreno minus 195. Kai Cotta France plus 165. I feel like I saw a bigger number on Kai earlier in the week. Perhaps I was wrong. Um, but for Cotta France, he's won three in a row. Of course, it was the unanimous decision win over the previously undefeated Askar Askarov uh, in March that really positioned him for this opportunity. Moreno, as you guys know, former undisputed champ, coming off a loss to Davison Figueredo in what was their third meeting back in January. Kenny Florian going to lead us on the co-main and the main event, Ken Flo, you going Moreno, the favorite, or Cata France, the dog? This is a fantastic fight. I oh, love yeah. this fight. Kai Cara France, dude, like, I don't know. I don't know if you want to be fighting him right now. He has so much confidence and so much offense. Uh, just a, a pretty striker to watch as well. Just the way he puts it all together right now. Um, I do think, though, uh, Brandon Moreno's experience is going to have to come into play here. I hope. Uh, and pray that he has, um, you know, learned from his last fight because I think that he could have done a lot more 
both with his grappling and with his striking a little bit. Um, and I, I think we're going to see an even better Brandon Moreno, Moreno this time around. I am a little biased. I have trained with Moreno a couple times. I've seen how hard he works. I know he's been kind of going back and forth and traveling all around the country right. uh, internationally to, to be as good as possible for this one. Uh, and I know that he he understands the type of challenge that is in front of him here with Kai Kaur France. Now, I, I wouldn't be surprised with either result, but I do think the experience and the grappling skills of Moreno is going to be the difference here. Um, I don't know if he's able to get the finish against someone like Kai Kaur France, but I think that if he's able to use the full arsenal, if he's able to use his full arsenal of skills here against Kai, Kai Kaur France and mix it up and not just take one approach here, that that's what's going to get him the win. He's got to work everything here against uh this tough new zealander and and uh, i think he can um i'm going with moreno here all right brandon moreno minus 205 right now on DraftKings sportsbook kai kata francis plus 175 over four and a half rounds juice to minus 160 under four and a half is plus 130 brian petrie who leaves dallas texas as the ufc's interim flyweight champion of the world the rematch, we didn't know we needed. You know, the first fight was so good. It was one I kind of forgot about, you know, because Moreno and Figueroa have been kind of running the vision. I don't really know. I still don't have an answer for figure, why Figgy's not in this. Was it a manager issue or something like that? There's something going on. I hope he clears that up um, and fights the winner because he's a legit guy. I, again, I'm not really sure. It could be an injury. I, I could be off base. But Brandon Moreno is such a great story in MMA. We, we've all heard it. I don't want to keep repeating it so many times. But, I mean, how can you not root for him? The kid's a sweet guy, you know, like like – <clears throat> like, excuse me, like Kenny said, he's going all over the place, left Tijuana and went to California, went to Vegas, um, went to Arizona, worked with Cejudo for a little bit. But now he's at Krause's gym, which I find a little odd. And I think James Krause, friend of the program, is an amazing coach. But I just feel like Brandon had a whole se- a training camp centered around him with his coaches and, and his training partners. And and he went to Krause's, which I don't know if he's going to get that much individual attention because considering Krause has, you know, what, like 50 fighters on the UFC roster? Um, and it seemed abruptly. I mean, it could have happened way before that. I don't know. But usually fighters that come in after first training camp with a, with, with a, a new training camp, excuse me, it, it, it mixed results. But, you know, the one thing Moreno's going to come in with is better fight IQ because that's what James Krause, in my opinion, brings. I think I think he's great in the corner. But Kai Car France is a stud. Saw him fight live in Columbus. Footwork, his speed, uh, ability to, to stop the takedown just on footwork alone and then being pretty strong and stout in there. It's really impressive. In the first fight, I think Kai didn't think he was good at Moreno's good to strike with him. Moreno was show dogging him every time he got hit, showed off that chin, outstruck him 91 82, dominant win by Moreno, didn't go for a takedown or at least didn't land a takedown on Kai Carr. And I think that put Kai Carr at pause. I think we're going to see a lot high level fight here. Fight of the night, in my opinion. Super Jack for this fight. If Moreno gets it down and gets his back, I think it's going to be a problem. We've seen Kai get taken down and get rocked, and, and Balterine had his back and he survived. You know, this position he's been in before, but I think Moreno, a little bit more of a killer on the back. But man, I think Kai's takedown offense is on point right now. I think his striking is going to come out. I think he's going to look classy on the feet. I think he's going to pick his shots. And, uh, you know, this is five rounds. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be close. But I think City Kickboxing is getting a new champion here. Give me Kai Car France by decision. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we were both there in Columbus, Ohio in March. I think when you see that live, uh, it certainly resonates with you. All right, Mm -hmm. main event for the undisputed UFC women's bantamweight title. Amanda Nunes is minus 275. The champion, Juliana Pena, is plus 230. Of course, a rematch of their first fight, which Pena lost or won last December by submission. 
Now, for that fight, it looked as though Nunez opened like minus 800, and I it got bet up as high as minus 1250 in some spots. Um, now she's minus 275. I know a lot of people who see value on Juliana Pena at plus 230. Uh, Ken Flo, the rematch is Saturday night. Who do you have in the main event? Yeah, listen, I, I think there is a lot of value on Juliana Pena um, just based on the fact that you know she's still hungry. And we saw in Amanda Nunes that, again, as champ, didn't fight so smart. She got overly emotional. Um, and Pena's durability and her ability to kind of mix things up a little bit and, and uh, stay in her face, I think, threw Nunes off. Um, but if, if we're looking at skills, right, who, who's the more skillful fighter? Who has more ways to win? I think Amanda Nunes does. Um, I, I think that um, the big question for me, though, is does Amanda Nunes truly want this? That does she Is she still really invested in this? Is she fighting because she loves to fight or is she fighting for a paycheck? That makes a difference. Why? Because Pena, I could see her throwing down at like 50, 60 years old, right? Like I could see her as a grandma (laughs) and looking to kick some ass. She's just got that fire. She is tough as nails. She's as durable as they come. Um, And uh, yeah, she just, and she has a lot of confidence. Um, But I I do think that Nunes, you know, if she fights what she's capable, uh, what she's capable of, I think Nunes wins this fight. She she is the better striker. I, I think that on a technical level, she is better uh, grappler. So long as she doesn't end up on her back, um, you know, because Pena gets on top. She throws a lot of ground and pound. She's pretty disciplined with her position for the most part. And Nunes isn't really known for being that dangerous off of her back. Um, and, and she's got to pace herself here. You know, um, Nunes is very explosive. She's very fast. But like a lot of people who are, um, if they're not mindful of their pacing and their conditioning, uh, they get guessed out real quick. Uh, and she certainly can't afford to do that again against someone like Pena. Um, so, again, I, I've been taking favorites pretty much all day, so I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with Nunez here. All right. Over two and a half rounds, minus 105. Under two and a half rounds for the main event, minus 125. Brian Petrie, we don't much care about when this fight ends. We need to know who you think is going to win it. Juliana Pena uh, in retention of the title or Amanda Nunes becoming a, I guess, two-time UFC Women's Bantamweight champion. Well, I'm, I'm an all-around capper, so I'll tell you, I like the over in that fight, uh, in this fight, excuse me. And I love that they're making this about seven months later. You know, it's it's a quick yes. turnaround. That's something that we didn't oh, yeah. really, we missed the opportunity on, you know, one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. We missed the opportunity on GSP uh, Matt Sarah. We had to wait a little bit for that rematch. I'm, I'm glad they did it. Put him on the ultimate fighter at the very end. They had a little bit of little bit of chirp in there. You know, Nunes came out hot in the first first fight, and she's so used to putting her hands on people and them just falling over that I feel like she's like, I'm gonna do this again. And, and who's to blame her? She's one of the you know one of the goats of all time. And Payne goes, I'm not falling over. Like I'm I'm here. And and Mana gassed out a little bit, didn't maintain her proper cardio. And then there was rumors that the weight cut to 135 is an issue. I looked on her Instagram. She appears to be in great shape, but. Still, I don't know if she's grown out of 135 or not. I think 45 maybe might be her, her full-time weight class after this. You know, time will tell, but she appears to be in great shape. But the one thing that I keep coming back to as a capper is she left AT&T. Who's her training partners? Who's she working with? I know she's got her wife, who's who's a great fighter herself. I know she's got her coaches, but I don't like the AT&T leave. I mean, maybe you get personal attention, but, you know, being the champ at AT&T, you know, you got a lot of resources to you. 
And Payne is just going to eat some shots and keep coming forward just like the first fight. I, I see this first round playing out a lot like the first fight, except a little more measured Amanda. But Nune, or Pena can make this fight ugly. And I think Nunez can't resist. She won't be able to resist the opportunity to make it ugly. I think I think Amanda's like, she's here to hit. I'm going to hit her. She's going to need to pick her shots right. Amanda Nunez is. I, I could talk about this fight. I'm going to condense it. I'm sorry. I'm going a little long here. No, you're Nunez good. needs to pick, pick her shots right. You know, she can't go in and, and think she hurts Pena and keep moving forward. She needs to pick, pick her shots. Pena needs to go forward, put pressure on her, mix a couple takedowns up because Nunez is not great off her back. Nunez wants to be on top. Nunez wants to be the hammer. I think Pena has those abilities. You look at her fights previously. She gets on top. She is nasty with ground and pound subs. She is mean in there. I love the leader ability that she has as well from the ultimate fighter. She's a fantastic coach. She's got her own co- or her own camp there in Chicago. That's really tight knit. Um, and Pena kind of slipped off my radar for a while. You know, she, she lost a few, then she had some kids and she came back. But throughout that whole time, she was calling out Nunes. Not many women were calling out Nunes. Yeah. They want the shot at the title, whoever that may be, but they weren't calling out Nunes. She wanted Nunes. And I think Juliana Pena is in the pocket right now, boys. I think this is just a bad matchup for Nunez. I think it's gonna she's gonna look good early. And if you're a Nunez backer, I would back her in the first couple rounds. But I think Pena by TKO round three, I think it's is what it's gonna be. I like and still here for for this uh, this championship fight. All right, very interesting. Brian Peter going with both underdogs in a championship setting at UFC 277. And I think you hit on a lot of truths when it comes to Juliana Pena. I think you encapsulated her quite well. We actually have a career retrospective essay uh, on Pena uh, that I voiced, uh, collaborated with Zach Candido, our producer that will air this weekend. Um, All right. More from Brian Petrie is yours on the MMA Takes podcast at Brian Petrie MMA. Appreciate the extended time, brother. Sorry about the technical difficulties off the top. We'll, uh, We'll talk to you in about six days, my man. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the pay-per-view. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Have a good week. See ya. There he is, Brian Petrie, with us here on the Anik and Florian podcast. Today's show presented in part by UFC Fight Pass, the world's premier combat sports streaming service with over 200 live events, the largest fight library in existence, original shows, and more. Sign up for a year and get half off for a limited time at ufcfight.pass.com slash sign up. All right, before we get out of here, you know what it is. We uh, see what's on the bone marrow. Cody that was Merrill, for me, right? You were throwing to me, right? That wasn't yeah, a yeah, impromptu. Yeah. No. Hi, buddy. Right. What do you got? What do you got? What do you no, got? How's it going? You can check us out on UFC Fight Pass if you want to go over, give us some love, share it on social. Every every little bit helps. You know, we love what we're doing on the Fight Pass uh, platform over there. So I just want to pop in with some notes here from uh, UFC London, a.k.a. Uh, UFC Takedown. Honey, 100, 128 takedowns attempted, which is a record for a fight night on total. Wow, most takedowns ever attempted. Not 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 something you expect out of London, is it? You know, oh, most wow, takedowns. That's a lot of takedowns. Yeah, well, they were led by 26 by Mohamed Mokayev, who was uh, fourth most ever in a fight. So yeah. I thought he was really impressive. I mean, didn't go out and uh, starch anybody too. like he yeah. wanted, but um, yeah, maybe keep the gun photos out of your uh, Instagram if you're going to attempt 26 takedowns. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. You know, just maybe maybe not the kind of. Uh, attack you were looking for there. there uh, McCann becomes only the second UFC fighter in history with two spinning back elbow KOs. Do you guys know who the other one is? Uh, Moicano? No. No. Brazilian. Uh, oh, uh, is it Ricardo? Ricardo uh, Ramos. Ramos? Yes. Ramos. Ricardo yes. Ramos. That's a tough one, huh? In, in, in Portuguese, huh? Ricardo Ramos. Ricardo Ramos. Yes. Ramos. Mixed up my Brazilians. Nice. Uh, and then the last thing about London, you know, John John Gooden loved him to death. He kept talking about Stormzy. 
I don't know who the fuck that is. So I was so I was totally confused. Like if so, if anyone can let me know who Stormzy is, but I want you to go out in the comments. The more people know who El Prez, Dave Portnoy, El Presidente from Barstool is, or nor no Stormzy. I have no idea who he is. I looked him up. He's on Take Me Back to London on Ed Sheeran's song. So that's All that's right. about it. Uh, I don't not think he has the facilities for that, Big Mom. Good research, um, Not bad, right? Uh, the promotion's sixth time in Dallas this weekend. Uh, the last time was UFC 228, Woodley versus Till, if that gives any context as to how long ago that was. Been a long time. Uh, September 2018. There were two Suluev stretches on that card, which I thought were very noteworthy. Oh, yeah. Aljo Funny was enough, one of them, right? Correct. And Aljo was on the prelims, and then the other one was Zabit, who was the third pay-per-view fight. So just interesting how time, uh, you know, I was kind of, doesn't stop for no man, but interesting to kind of look back on where MMA was kind of at that time. Yeah. And also on that card was the last loss for champion Carla Esparza. It's a TKO against Tatiana Suarez, who should oh. be coming back soon. So a lot, lot of contacts coming into Dallas this weekend. John, you got your Spurs ready? I'm ready to go. Can't wait. Might be even playing Dallas National on Wednesday. Tee it at high uh-huh. with my guy. DC. This, this guy. So, uh, I'm What's your handicap these days? Not good, man. Probably like a 25. Oh. Well, I'm not. We're gonna get to like we're gonna get the Ken Flo's neck of the woods, you know. I'm sure he can. I'm sure he's got a hook up at this point for a nice. uh, (laughs) I wish I did. It's too expensive to uh, to be a part of these clubs. Yeah. Well, Well, and I will shout out Trevor Story, by the way, from the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, it is way too expensive. These initiation fees, you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know the game, but I'm a terrible golfer. Objectively, I mean, I hit the ball a mile for a guy my size, but that doesn't get me anywhere as far as scoring is concerned. Uh, why, why are you shouting out Trevor Story? Do you get to make so an Trevor Story uh, is on the DL, right? But I was wearing my Trevor Story T-shirt yesterday showing my support, even though he wasn't playing. And, uh, you know, he did uh, send me a message and he said, you know, you probably have your connections, but let us know the next time that you're in the building. We'll take care of you. So uh, nice to know that, you know, I have communication and an active line nice. with a Red Sox player if we need anything. Uh, oh, yeah. way back in the future. Well, um, and if we can get John, I, Jonathan Papelbon's all over social media. I want, I want that spark plug on this show. So if we can get Jonathan Papelbon on the show, I would love to have him. I would love that. That'd be awesome. Right. Make it happen. All right, Cody. Thank you very much. Appreciate all your hard work. Uh, don't forget, remember the show coming up Thursday with Jason Anik and Bilal Muhammad. AnikFlorianPodcast.com for your merchandise needs. Special code, not 10% off. BAM15 for 15% off. Uh, one more sleep. Dallas City theme, limited edition t-shirts and other merchandise is up at millions.co. You can just search John Anik and, of course, Kenny Flory and martialarts.com uh, for all of your jujitsu essentials. We got to get on out of here. Enjoy UFC 277 coming up live from Dallas, Texas. Prelims on ABC and the pay-per-view, of course, on ESPN+. Plus. With that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for watching, for listening, for subscribing. We appreciate you telling your friends, too. Long goes back next week. Don't worry. Until then, until then.
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.